Chapter 11 of The Double, a Petersburg Poem by Fyodor Dostoevsky, translated by Constance Garnett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 11 Mr. Gulyadkin's breath failed him. He flew as though on wings after his rapidly retreating enemy. He was conscious of immense energy. Yet, in spite of this terrible energy, he might confidently have said at that moment that a humble gnat, had a gnat been able to exist in Petersburg at that time of the year, could very easily have knocked him down. He felt, too, that he was utterly weak again, that he was carried along by a peculiar outside force, that it was not he himself who was running, but, on the contrary, that his legs were giving way under him, and refused to obey him. This all might turn out for the best, however. Whether it is for the best or not for the best, thought Mr. Golyadkin, almost breathless from running so quickly, but that the game is lost there cannot be the slightest doubt now. That I am utterly done for is certain, definite, signed, and ratified. In spite of all this, our hero felt as though he had risen from the dead, as though he had withstood a battalion, as though he had won a victory when he succeeded in clutching the overcoat of his enemy, who had already raised one foot to get into the cab he had engaged. "'My dear sir, my dear sir!' he shouted to the infamous Mr. Goliadkin, Jr., holding him by the button. My dear sir, I hope that you... No, please do not hope for anything, Mr. Golyadkin's heartless enemy answered evasively, standing with one foot on the step of the cab and vainly waving the other leg in the air, in his efforts to get in, trying to preserve his equilibrium, and at the same time trying with all his might to wrench his coat away from Mr. Golyadkin Sr., while the latter held on to it with all the strength that had been vouchsafed to him by nature. Yakov Petrovitch, only ten minutes. Excuse me, I have no time. You must admit, Yakov Petrovitch, please, Yakov Petrovitch, for God's sake, Yakov Petrovitch, let us have it out in a straightforward way. One little second, Yakov Petrovitch. My dear fellow, I can't stay, answered Mr. Gulyatkin's dishonorable enemy with uncivil familiarity, disguised as good-natured hardiness. Another time, believe me, with my whole soul and all my heart. But now, really, I cannot. Scoundrel, thought our hero. Yakov Petrovitch, he cried miserably, I have never been your enemy. Spiteful people have described me unjustly. I am ready on my side. Yakov Petrovitch, shall we go in here together at once, Yakov Petrovitch? And with all my heart, as you have so justly expressed it just now, and in straightforward, honorable language, as you have expressed it just now, here into this coffee-house. There the facts will explain themselves. They will really, Yakov Petrovitch. Then everything will certainly explain itself. Into the coffee-house? Very good. I am not against it. Let us go into the coffee-house, on one condition only, my dear. Have it all out, darling, said Mr. Golyadkin, Jr., getting out of the cab, and shamelessly slapping our hero on the shoulder. You friend of my heart, for your sake, Yakov Petrovitch, I am ready to go by the back street, as you were pleased to observe so aptly on one occasion, Yakov Petrovitch. Why, what a rogue he is, upon my word. He does just what he likes with one. Mr. Bolyadkin's false friend went on, fawning upon him and cajoling him with a little smile. The coffee-house which the two Mr. Golyadkins entered stood some distance away from the main street and was at the moment quite empty. A rather stout German woman made her appearance behind the counter. Mr. Gulyadkin and his unworthy enemy went into the second room, where a puffy-looking boy with a closely-shaven head 
was busy with a bundle of chips at the stove, trying to revive the smouldering fire. At Mr. Golyadkin Jr.'s request, chocolate was served. And a sweet little lady tart, said Mr. Golyadkin Jr., with a sly wink at Mr. Golyadkin Sr. Our hero blushed and was silent. Oh, yes, I forgot. I beg your pardon. I know your taste. We are sweet on charming little Germans, sir. You and I are sweet on charming and agreeable little Germans. Aren't we, you upright soul? We take their lodgings, we seduce their morals, they win our hearts with their beer soup and their milk soup. And we give them notes of different sorts, that's what we do, you fabulous, you deceiver. All this Mr. Goliadkin Jr. said, making an unworthy, though villainously artful allusion to a certain personage of the female sex. Well, he fawned upon our hero, smiled at him with an amiable air, with a deceitful show of being delighted with him and pleased to have met him seeing that mr goliadkin senior was by no means stupid and deficient in breeding and the manners of good society as to believe in him the infamous man resolved to change his tactics and to make a more open attack upon him after uttering his disgusting speech the false mr goliadkin ended by slapping the real and substantial mr goliadkin on the shoulder with a revolting effrontery and familiarity not content with that he began playing pranks utterly unfit for well-bred society he took it into his head to repeat his old nauseous trick that is regardless of the resistance and the faint cries of the indignant mr goliadkin senior he pinched the latter on the cheek at the spectacle of such depravity our hero boiled within but was silent only for the time however that is the talk of my enemies he answered at last in a trembling voice prudently restraining himself at the same time our hero looked round uneasily toward the door the fact was that mr goliadkin jr seemed in excellent spirits and ready for all sorts of little jokes unseemly in a public place and speaking generally not permissible by the laws of good manners especially in well-bred society oh well in that case as you please mr goliadkin jr gravely responded to our hero's thought sitting down upon the table the empty cup which he had gulped down with unseemly greed well there's no need for me to stay long with you however well how are you getting on now yakov petrovitch there's only one thing i can tell you yakov petrovitch our hero answered with sang-froid and dignity i've never been your enemy hmm oh what about petrushka petrushka is his name i fancy yes it is petrushka well how is he well the same as ever he's the same as ever too yakov petrovitch answered mr goliadkin senior somewhat amazed i don't know yakov petrovitch from my standpoint from a candid honourable standpoint yakov petrovitch you must admit yakov petrovitch yes but you know yourself yakov petrovitch mr goliadkin junior answered in a soft and expressive voice so posing falsely as a sorrowful man overcome with remorse and deserving compassion you know yourself we live in difficult times i appeal to you yakov petrovitch you are an intelligent man and your reflections are just mr goliadkin jr said in conclusion flattering mr goliadkin senior in an abject way life is not a game you know yourself yakov petrovitch mr goliadkin jr added with vast significance assuming the character of a clever and learned man who is capable of passing judgment on lofty subjects for my part yakov petrovitch our hero answered warmly for my part scorning to be roundabout and speaking boldly and openly using straightforward honourable language and putting the whole matter 
on an honourable basis. I tell you, I can openly and honourably assert, Yakov Petrovitch, that I am absolutely pure, and that you know it yourself, Yakov Petrovitch, the error is mutual. It may be all the world's judgment, the opinion of the slavish crowd. I speak openly, Yakov Petrovitch, everything is possible. I will say, too, Yakov Petrovitch, if you judge it in this way, you will look at the matter from a lofty, noble point of view. Then I will boldly say, without false shame, I will say, Yakov Petrovitch, it will be positively a pleasure to me to discover that I have been in error. It will positively be a pleasure to me to recognize it. You know yourself you are an intelligent man, and, what is more, you are a gentleman. Without shame, without false shame, I am ready to recognize it, he wound up with dignity and nobility. It is the decree of destiny, Yakov Petrovitch, but let us drop all this, said Mr. Volyatkin, Jr. Let us rather use the brief moment of our meeting for a more pleasant and profitable conversation, as is only suitable between two colleagues in the service. Really, I have not succeeded in saying two words to you all this time. I am not to blame for that, Yakov Petrovitch. Nor I, answered our hero warmly, nor I either. My heart tells me, Yakov Petrovitch, that I'm not to blame in all this matter. Let us blame fate for all this, Yakov Petrovitch, added Mr. Golyadkin Sr. in a quick, conciliatory tone of voice. His voice began, little by little, to soften and to quaver. Well, how are you in health, said the sinner in a sweet voice. I have a little cough, answered our hero, even more sweetly. Take care of yourself. There is so much illness going about. You may easily get quincy. For my part, I confess, I've begun to wrap up myself in flannel. One may, indeed, Yakov Petrovitch, very easily get quincy, our hero pronounced after a brief silence. Yakov Petrovitch, I see that I have made a mistake. I remember with softened feelings those happy moments which we were so fortunate as to spend together, under my poor, though I venture to say, hospitable roof. In your letter, however, you wrote something very different, said Mr. Golyadkin, Jr., reproachfully, speaking on this occasion, though only on this occasion, quite justly. Yakov Petrovitch, I was in error. I see clearly now that I was in error in my unhappy letter, too. Yakov Petrovitch, I am ashamed to look at you, Yakov Petrovitch. You wouldn't believe. Give me that letter that I may tear it to pieces before your eyes, Yakov Petrovitch. And if that is utterly impossible, I entreat you to read it the other way before. Precisely the other way before, that is expressing with a friendly intention, giving the opposite sense to the whole letter. I was in error. Forgive me, Yakov Petrovitch. I was quite... I was grievously in error, Yakov Petrovitch. You say so, Mr. Golyadkin's perfidious friend inquired rather casually and indifferently. I say that I was quite in error, Yakov Petrovitch, and that, for my part, quite without false shame, I am... Ah, well, that's all right. That's a nice thing your being in error, answered Mr. Golyadkin, Jr. I even had an idea, Yakov Petrovitch, our candid here, answered in a gentlemanly way, completely failing to observe the horrible perfidy of his deceitful enemy. I even had an idea that here were two people created exactly alike. Ah, that is your idea. At this point, the notoriously worthless Mr. Golyadkin took up his hat. Still failing to observe his treachery, Mr. Golyadkin Sr. too got up and with a noble, simple-hearted smile to his false friend, tried in his innocence to be friendly to him, to encourage him, and in that way to form a new friendship with him. 
good-bye your excellency mr golyodkin jr called out suddenly our hero started noticing in his enemy's face something positively bacchanalian and solely to get rid of him put two fingers into the unprincipled man's outstretched hand but then then his enemy's shamelessness passed all bounds seizing the two fingers of mr golyodkin's hand and at first pressing them the worthless fellow on the spot before mr golyodkin's eyes had the effrontery to repeat the shameful joke of the morning the limit of human patience was exhausted he had just hidden in his pocket the handkerchief with which he had wiped his fingers when mr golyodkin senior recovered from the shock and dashed after him into the next room into which his irreconcilable foe had in his usual hasty way hastened to decamp as though perfectly innocent he was standing at the counter eating pies and with perfect composure like a virtuous man was making polite remarks to the german woman behind the counter i can't go into it before the ladies thought our hero and he too went up to the counter so agitated that he hardly knew what he was doing the tart is certainly not bad what do you think mr golyodkin jr began upon his unseemly sallies again reckoning no doubt upon mr golyodkin's infinite patience the stout german for her part looked at both her visitors with pewtery vacant-looking eyes smiling affably and evidently not understanding russian our hero flushed red as fire at the words of the unabashed mr golyodkin jr and unable to control himself rushed at him with the evident intention of tearing him to pieces and finishing him off completely but mr golyodkin jr in his usual mean way was already far off he took flight he was already on the steps it need hardly be said that after the first moment of stupefaction with which mr golyodkin senior was naturally overcome he recovered himself and went at full speed after his insulting enemy who had already got into a cab whose driver was obviously in collusion with him but at that very instant the stout german seeing both her customers make off shrieked and rang her bell with all her might our hero was on the point of flight but he turned back and without asking for change flung her money for himself and for the shameless man who had left without paying and although thus delayed he succeeded in catching up with his enemy hanging on to the side of the cab with all the force bestowed on him by nature our hero was carried for some time along the street clambering upon the vehicle while mr golyodkin jr did his utmost to dislodge him meanwhile the cabman with whip with reins with kicks and with shouts urged on his exhausted nag who quite unexpectedly dropped into a gallop biting at the bit and kicking with his hind legs in a horrid way at last our hero succeeded in climbing into the cab facing his enemy and with his back to the driver his knees touching the knees and his right hand clutching the very shabby fur collar of his depraved and exasperated foe the enemies were borne along for some time in silence our hero could scarcely breathe it was a bad road and he was jolted at every step and in peril of breaking his neck moreover his exasperated foe still refused to acknowledge himself vanquished and was trying to shove him off into the mud to complete the unpleasantness of his position the weather was detestable the snow was falling in heavy flakes and doing its utmost to creep under the unfastened overcoat of the genuine mr golyatkin it was foggy and nothing could be seen it was difficult to tell through what street and in what direction they were being taken it seemed to mr golyatkin that what was happening to him was somehow familiar one instant he tried to remember whether he had a presentiment of it the day before in a dream for instance 
At last his wretchedness reached the utmost pitch of agony. Leaning upon his merciless opponent, he was beginning to cry out, but his cries died away upon his lips. There was a moment when Mr. Golyadkin forgot everything, and made up his mind that all this was of no consequence, and that it was all nothing, that it was happening in some inexplicable manner, and that, therefore, to protest was effort thrown away. But suddenly, and almost at the same instant that our hero was drawing this conclusion, an unexpected jolt gave quite a new turn to the affair. Mr. Golyadkin fell off the cab like a sack of flour and rolled on the ground, quite correctly recognizing at the moment of his fall that his excitement had been very inappropriate. Jumping up at last, he saw that they had arrived somewhere. The cab was standing in the middle of some courtyard, and from the first glance our hero noticed that it was the courtyard of the house in which was Osufi Ivanovitch's flat. At the same instant, he noticed that his enemy was mounting the steps probably on his way to Olsufi Ivanovich's. In indescribable misery, he was about to pursue his enemy, but, fortunately for himself, prudently thought better of it. Not forgetting to pay the cabman, Mr. Golyadkin ran with all his might along the street, regardless of where he was going. Though snow was falling heavily as before, as before it was muggy, wet, and dark, our hero did not walk but flew, coming into collision with everyone on the way, men, women, and children, and himself rebounding from every one, men, women, and children. About him and after him he heard frightened voices, squeals, and screams, but Mr. Golyadkin seemed unconscious and would pay no heed to anything. He came to himself, however, on Semyonovsky Bridge, and then only through succeeding in tripping against and upsetting two peasant women and the wares that they were selling and tumbling over them. That's no matter, thought Mr. Golyadkin, that can easily be set right and felt in his pocket at once, intending to make up for the cakes, apples, nuts, and various trifles he had scattered with a rouble. Suddenly a new light dawned upon Mr. Golyatkin. In his pocket he felt the letter given him in the morning by the clerk. Remembering that there was a tavern he knew close by, he ran to it without a moment's delay, settled himself at a little table lighted up by a tallow candle, and, taking no notice of anything, regardless of the waiter, who came to ask for his orders, broke the seal, and began reading the following letter, which completely astounded him. You noble man, who are suffering for my sake, and will be dear to my heart forever. I am suffering, I am perishing, save me. The slanderer, the intriguer, notorious for the immorality of his tendencies, has entangled me in his snares, and I am undone. I am lost, but he is abhorrent to me, while you— they have separated us they have intercepted my letters to you and all this has been the work of the vicious man who has taken advantage of his one good quality his likeness to you a man can always be plain in appearance yet fascinate by his intelligence his strong feelings and his agreeable manners i am ruined i am being married against my will and the chief part in this intrigue is taken by my parent benefactor and civil counsellor osufi ivanovitch no doubt desirous of securing me a place and relations in well-bred society. But I have made up my mind, and I protest by all the powers bestowed on me by nature. Be waiting for me with a carriage at nine o'clock in the evening at the window of Olsufi Ivanovitch's flat. We are having another ball, and a handsome lieutenant is coming. I will come out, and we will fly. Moreover, there are other government offices in which one can be of service to one's country. In any case... 
remember my friend that innocence is strong in its very innocence farewell wait with the carriage at the entrance i shall throw myself into the protection of your arms at two o'clock in the night yours till death clara olsufiena after reading the letter our hero remained for some minutes as though petrified in terrible anxiety and terrible agitation white as a sheet with the letter in his hand he walked several times up and down the room to complete the unpleasantness of his position though our hero failed to observe it he was at that moment the object of the exclusive attention of every one in the room probably the disorder of his attire his unrestrained excitement his walking or rather running about the room his gesticulating with both hands perhaps some enigmatic words unconsciously addressed to the air probably all this prejudiced mr golyadkin in the opinion of the customers and even the waiter began to look at him suspiciously coming to himself mr golyadkin noticed that he was standing in the middle of the room and was in an almost unseemly discourteous manner staring at an old man a very respectable appearance who having dined and said grace before the icon had sat down again and fixed his eyes upon mr golyadkin our hero looked vaguely about him and noticed that every one actually every one was looking at him with a hostile and suspicious air all at once a retired military man in a red collar asked loudly for the police news mr golyadkin started and turned crimson he happened to look down and saw that he was in such disorderly attire as he would not have worn even at home much less in a public place his boots his trousers and the whole of his left side were covered with mud the trouser strap was torn off on his right foot and his coat was even torn in many places in extreme misery our hero went up to the table at which he had read the letter and saw that the attendant was coming up to him with a strange and impudently peremptory expression of face utterly disconcerted and crestfallen our hero began to look about the table at which he was now standing on the table stood a dirty plate left there from somebody's dinner a soiled table napkin and a knife fork and spoon that had just been used who's been having dinner thought our hero can it have been i anything is possible i must have had dinner without noticing it what am i to do raising his eyes mr golyadkin again saw beside him the waiter who was about to address him how much is the bill my lad our hero inquired in a trembling voice a loud laugh sounded round mr golyadkin the waiter himself grinned mr golyadkin realized that he had blundered again that he had done something dreadfully stupid he was overcome by confusion and to avoid standing there with nothing to do he put his hand in his pocket to get out his handkerchief but to the indescribable amazement of himself and all surrounding him he pulled out instead of his handkerchief the bottle of medicine which krestyan ivanovitch had prescribed for him four days earlier get the medicine at the same chemist's floated through mr golyadkin's brain suddenly he started and almost cried out in horror a new light dawned the dark reddish and repulsive liquid had a sinister gleam to mr golyadkin's eyes the bottle dropped from his hands and was instantly smashed our hero cried out and stepped back a pace to avoid the spilled medicine he was trembling in every limb and drops of sweat came out onto his brow and temples so my life is in danger meanwhile there was a stir a commotion in the room everyone surrounded mr golyadkin everyone talked to mr golyadkin some even caught hold of mr golyadkin but our hero was dumb and motionless seeing nothing hearing nothing feeling nothing 
at last as though tearing himself from the place he rushed out of the tavern pushing away all and each who tried to detain him almost unconscious he got into the first cab that passed him and drove to his flat in the entry of his flat he met Mieyev, an attendant from the office with an official envelope in his hand i know my good man i know all about it our exhausted hero answered in a weak miserable voice it's official the envelope did in fact contain instructions to mr golyadkin signed by andrei filopovitch to give up the business in his hands to ivan semyonovitch taking the envelope and giving ten kopecks to the man mr golyadkin went into his flat and saw that petrushka was collecting all his odds and ends all his things into a heap evidently intending to abandon mr golyadkin and move into the flat of karolina ivanova who had enticed him to take the place of Yevstafi. End of chapter 11